You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Push it. I just pushed the button, Bracken. Push it real good. How you doing this morning, Bracken? I'm a happy man. I'm back in the swing of training. I did a, a strength circuit workout with Ross this morning. He and I went 73 minutes on the trails on Saturday. That's a new PR. New PR. In, in 2021. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. 73 minutes? Yep. Hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm basically back. I ran three times last week. Two and a half. And then this week? I'm going to stick to every other day. That's the Kirk plan right there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's the Kirk plan. That's right. It can be done, folks. What about you? Oh, you know, I put an offer on a house. Might be coming in during the podcast, whether it was accepted or not. So that's exciting. And I got a got a 17-mile trail race on Saturday, which I have not done a true trail race. I can't tell you how long. So got that coming up, which I'm, again, saving myself up for. And uh, that's my week, man. That's an exciting week. I've, I've twice... Three, three times have I made been in the stage where I've been making offers on homes. Mm-hmm. The first time we finally got to the point where we decided it wasn't worth it, we'll wait. And then the next two times we had offers accepted. And that's a, that's a nerve-wracking process at times. It's exciting, but it's a roller coaster. You know, we're, we're looking at waterfront property. So this is a lake home that is overpriced, right? You're paying, as my realtor said, you're paying for the lake in the view and you can make the house what you want it sort of situation. Mm-hmm. And this is an older gentleman who owns a house and he is on his way out, right? He hasn't put his dock in in like two or three years. He can't keep it up anymore. And his kids are like, hey, it's time to leave the lake, dad, and live with us so we can help you live life. And so this guy does not want to leave the lake and rightfully so. He's like, this is my home. It's on the lake. So he's, he's being a butthead, with what he wants to accept for this house that's overpriced because the guy doesn't want to leave. So we're playing that game. If you're going to make me leave, I'm going to drag my feet and I'm going to get the price that I want. We don't, exactly. We don't need to spend time on this, but he put his house up in 2010, 11, 12, 13, 18, and 2021. <laughs> and it hasn't sold yet. The guy said no to everybody, but he's he's on his way out, I think. So so hopefully I'm the lucky one who uh, who gets this thing to go. But I'll tell you what, your uh, your pallet board with all those pretty shoes, which is going to tie into today's episode, has inspired me for some things I'll do to this place if we get it. So thank you. For yeah, that. we were we were talking uh, some design porn this weekend. We were design porn. That's a niche, huh? That is a niche. That's a big niche. You were sending me all sorts of snaps late at night. Oh, you were getting some spicy photos from me. I was. I Courtesy was. of Mike Day. Mike Day, if you're listening, I. I forwarded a few of your your pallet walls you did on over to Kirk, and Kirk said Jess was a big fan of your work. I used other words, but yes, thank you, Mike. So that's that. And then uh, trail race coming up, which is interesting because I haven't run. This is a 17-mile trail race with like 22 to 2,500 feet of vert, which is a lot for Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. It's mostly single track along the Zumbro River, kind of the southern portion of Minnesota where we actually have hill country. The glaciers didn't go and smash everything flat like it did in the rest of the Midwest. Um, But I haven't run longer than maybe 80 minutes in the last month or two. And this is going to be Mike Ferguson has the course record at an hour 58. And so it's going to be a very interesting like last 45 minutes to half hour. I'm going to go out with my intent to break Mike Ferguson's record. Mike, if you're listening, that's my goal, okay? But I don't know what's going to happen that last half hour. So um, we'll see, man. We're going to go lay down the hammer, see what happens. Mike was fit when he did that. Real fit, like podium at National Series fit. He, yeah. in fact, Mike Ferguson ran that race, set the course record, and then like three weeks later went to Seattle and was in third place until he missed his spear and ended up eighth with a set of burpees. So he was fit then, so... And that was a national series race that year. Correct. Yeah, he was he was in front of uh, 
most he was right on Atkins' heels and Killian's heels going into that. Yeah, it was Killian, Atkins, Ferguson, and then everyone else. <laughs> well, right. It was. There was a big gap there. But what's interesting about this race, and maybe some of you guys listening are dealing with, is because of COVID protocol, they're sending off over four days, they're sending off small waves every 20 minutes. Between 6 a.m. and noon, they're starting people over four days. So it's time trial format. So it's unless there's some fast guy next to me, which is not likely at 8.20 a.m. at my start time on Saturday. <laughs> That's interesting. It's a time trial. So who knows how that'll play in, but um, I don't have a problem being aggressive. So that's that's my weekend coming up. You know, sometimes that's more fun, especially in a long race, because in a long race, if you get gapped early, all you feel like you're doing is falling backwards. So it's, it might be nice just to go out and peg it start to finish. Oh, I'm going to be, as they call it, kills. Uh, I'm going to see how many people I can kill along the way. So that'll be the plan. Yeah, that's exactly right. So as I've been talking, folks, Bracken has just been futzing. I'm futzing over here. It's tough to, it feels like he's not listening because he's grabbing shoes off the wall and he's looking all around. What I'm actually doing is I'm weighing them right now to double check that my numbers are right. So you're weighing your shoes as I'm chatting with you. Yeah, I've got a little uh, digital scale here that I run my side business off. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's how you weigh out your, uh, what is it? Fight milk powder? I'm moving weight over here, Kirk. All right. So why don't you, this is your baby Bracken. Uh, I've done enough talking for the time being. No, I'm going to ask you a question, actually, that's going to lead into this. All right. 17 miles, semi-technical trail. What are you wearing? Mm-hmm. I'm wearing my uh, Evo Speed Goats, Hoka Evo Speed Goats, for sure, without question. Yes. Okay. Easy easy answer, not even a question. Easy answer. If it was shorter, I would have put a pair of VJs on, but with my lower leg issues, I just need a little more shoe. So that's my answer. But shoes, why you set the stage. That question... The answer to that question has changed, and that question has taken on more significance in the last five to six years. When mm-hmm. before a race, some people might say, "What do you plan on wearing?" And it was really, "Are you going to wear trainers for this? Or are you going to wear flats for this for mm-hmm. a road race?" And now the question, the implied question is, "Are you wearing racing flats or are you wearing super shoes?" Yeah, and that has totally changed the landscape of road running and to some extent track and cross country. I just rewatched some. Uh, some college cross country races and there was one race where I saw they were wearing vapor flies because it was such a smooth golf course. And so the super shoe revolution has firmly taken hold. Well, how many, and how many trail races, if it's a runnable trail race, are you seeing guys and even like a road super shoe choosing it because mm-hmm. of its benefits? I, I believe a number of people now in ultras or that type of thing have, have chosen the super shoe over a typical trail shoe, even sacrificing the tread and sacrificing the maneuverability on technical terrain because the benefit in their mind still outweighs the cost. Absolutely. And we will actually finish with the trail talk of super shoes. But to start, I guess to rewind back and lay the groundwork for this, I purchased a pair of Hoka Carbon X. They were the first everyman super shoe where they weren't a super shoe, but they were carbon plated. Then I also was uh, given a pair of Nike Zoom. Uh, let's get the actual right term here. Nike Air Zoom Alpha Fly Next Percent. Okay. The names are becoming ridiculous. But so we have the Carbon X from Hoka. We have the Alpha Fly from Nike, which at the time was the pinnacle of long distance racing shoes. And then the third one I used as my control group was the Skechers Razor 3. Now I've run in two of those shoes. Yes. But not the uh, the one with a lot of eyes on it. So I guess first we should define what a super shoe really is and why it is. The why is what I think most people don't really truly grasp yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why don't you start with that? So a true sh- super shoe generally has two components. It has advanced foam and it has a carbon plate. That's a must in all super shoes, advanced foam and a carbon plate. You see that in all of them. You can't just stick a carbon plate in a shoe and say, now it's a super shoe. True. And you also can't just have super foam in a shoe and call it a super shoe. It's kind of like a supercar. Having a sports car does not make it a supercar. You know, there are, if you talk to auto purists, there are specific cars that are allowed to be called supercars. There are all the rest that aren't. And then there's a few that there are always deciding, is this truly a supercar or is it not? But mm-hmm. with, with shoes right now, it's really black and white. If there is super foam and a carbon plate, it is a super shoe. 
it does not have both of those, it is not. And the really important thing here is what happens with the shoe. Now I'm going to talk with my hands this entire episode. I'm mm-hmm. always going to have a shoe in my hand and I'm going to be showing Kirk things, but I'm going to do my best to be very verbal about this so that I'm not relying on my props. But the carbon plate has been around since I think the eighties. Fila had a carbon plated shoe. I mean, there, there were shoes that were slapping carbon plates in there for a long time, but they never were a game changer. Now, something I just, this is just a side curiosity. So I don't claim to be the expert here, by the way, guys, this is a Bracken's time to shine, but I'll play moderator, so to speak. When you hear of rock plates in some of these trail shoes, rock plates, which a lot of the companies now have, is that a carbon plate in there? Or is that simply just a tough piece of plastic? Most of the time you are getting plastic or you are getting composite. Okay. You're getting a carbon composite in there, but you generally don't get full on carbon. I didn't think so. It's trickier to work with. You have to source it correctly and you have to use it correctly. Carbon is extremely strong when used in the right plane of, mo- of motion and when, with the correct torsional rigidity and different, different aspects like that. Whereas plastic, you can slap any old plastic in there and it works. But you also rarely get full. Even if they say full foot rock plate, it doesn't generally cover the entire foot, if that makes sense. Yep, makes sense. I just wanted to just stick that in there real quick. The problem with carbon plating is that it is extremely stiff. It does not bend very much. And contrary to popular belief, it does not act as a spring. I guess by definition, it acts as a spring because there's something like six or nine definitions of what a spring can do. Mm. But it doesn't work as a spring the way you think, where you compress it down and then it explodes up in the air and launches you forward. You'll see videos of people, I'm sure you've seen it, where someone compresses it down into the ground, lets go, and the shoe springs up into the air. Yeah. That's really good, but you've given it an anchor point and a second anchor point. And now... Now, again, I'll speak from less knowledge than you, but if I'm not mistaken, really, if it, you could simplify it as this. If you go run on wet, spongy grass, you're getting a lot less return force from the ground because it's sucking energy out of you, requiring you to push through harder. You mm-hmm. have a firm carbon plate, you're really striking on a very firm. I mean, if anybody's running a carbon shoe, they're very stiff, they're very hard on the bottom, but they give you a very large return on your investment. So you're not losing energy through your ground contact as much as you would in maybe a spongier shoe. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. But what it does not do is store force and then unfurl and spring you forward. Listen, the Nike the Nike shocks did that back in boing, <laughs> boing, boing, right? That's as close as you'll come. You would need a vertical spring to get true spring. What carbon does is it rocks you forward. It doesn't give. So when it touches, it moves. Because of the rigidity of the plate. Yeah. And so they work with finding the ideal curve underneath your foot so that it propels you forward. It does not spring you. When people talk about feeling springy, what they're actually talking about is what I would say is the most important part of the shoe, which is the foam. The foam we're talking about now that I'm touching here on this, this ZoomX foam from Nike is like space age technology compared to the EVA foam we grew up with. The foam we grew up with in, that we grew up running in, the best it could do is not take all your energy out of you. This foam returns so much more energy back to you that it's not even in the same class as the old foam and it's like a third of the weight. But by itself, it's a mushy marshmallowy mess. It'd be really comfortable to stand around in them at your desk, but it's the combination of the foam cushioning the stiffness of the plate and the plate providing direction to the foam. They work in harmony to make a super shoe actually work. So the the perfect two ingredients to make the recipe work together. Correct. And that is why, oh, I mean, it's really three. It's having the plate, it's having the correct curve angle and location of the plate, and then it's having your foam tuned correctly. So you you held up three shoes. You held up the Carbon X, Mm -hmm. which I have. Which would not meet our definition of super shoe. Correct, but it just has the carbon plate in it. But it has the plate. And then you held up the Skechers, uh, what was it again? The Razor 3. The Razor 3. Uh, and then the Nike, um, I can say from, so I have the Razor 3 and the Carbon X and the Razor 3, when you set them both on a table and you look at them, the Carbon X looks like it's looking up at you, right? Because the front toe box is curved up and it, it creates that rock sense, rock situation. 
where the Razor 3 is just a super foam, if I'm not mistaken, or a special foam. It's, it's We'll call it sub-super foam. So, okay, sub-super foam. better than normal. It's not quite super. But that shoe is is looks like a normal shoe. It's not curved. Yes. The carbon plate doesn't do it. So I know I have from experience, the carbon plate, that carbon X looks like it's looking up a little ways because of the yes. way it's brought. So I've, I've experienced that firsthand. And so, so, so now we kind of have that definition of what a super shoe is, just so that everyone knows what we're talking about moving forward. So I chose three shoes. I chose my, this Razor 3. I would consider this the everyman's racing shoe. It's a great shoe. It is very light. I throw it on here and in my size 10 on here, 6.77 ounces in size 10. And I'll tell you what, you get a lot of cushion Mm-hmm. yet give back when that foot strikes you could run you could run a marathon in it or 400 meter repeats and it just gives you a good return on your investment without too much pounding on the line yeah it's not crazy expensive you can find it between 80 and 120 dollars most of the time it has no special characteristic other than a really lively squishy shoe bottom the the, the midsole i should say the foam is lively squishy and very light so 6.77 ounces is the weight of many racing flats, but it has enough cushion that it could be considered a lightweight trainer. You can, uh, a heavier athlete or a slower athlete could race a mile in this shoe. Yep. A very light, efficient, fast runner could run a marathon in this shoe. And I, I consider it the everyman hero. This is the shoe I recommend to everyone to try out if they're looking for a shoe to cover a wide range of fast paces. Yeah, and people don't look at the Skecher as like a real player in the running game but i tell you if you put that shoe on you will forever be changed i didn't take them seriously you talked about them for a couple of years back and before i mm-hmm. said finally there was a sale and i bought one and i was like how have i held out this long on this shoe it's amazing so i just want to build credibility to the shoes where were test you tested yeah second shoe far other end of the spectrum is the super shoe of all super shoes the nike alpha fly now the Alpha Fly builds on the Vapor Fly, and this is a long distance racing shoe. So the stack height, if you hold it up next to each other, it is almost three, it is at least twice as cushioned as the other one. Mm-hmm. Maybe a, maybe two and a half times. It has a giant AirPod in the front of the shoe, plus it has a carbon plate, so much foam. If you look, Kirk, you can almost see me through the, the lining of the shoe. Yep, it's thin, yep. That, this atom knit upper is extremely light. Every single part of this, even the, the laces itself, have these, they're extremely light, and then the outer has these little nubs and ridges on it so that it never slips or anything. Like every millimeter of the shoe is engineered just to be the best shoe that anyone could ever wear. But aesthetically, when you held it up next to the Razor 3, it looks about, I mean, a time and a half the size, maybe twice the size. It looks like a moon boot. Oh yeah, if I hold up heel to heel, if I put the heels at the same height, the Alpha Fly is a full inch longer than my other shoe in the same size. Yeah, yeah. And what does that one weigh? This one, I believe it's in my size, it's eight and a half, but I'm going to weigh it one more time for the crowd. Uh, 8.25, 8.25 ounces. So it gains about an ounce and a half, not quite two ounces, and it doubles the size. Mm-hmm. So double to triple the cushion for a little less than two ounces. And it's, again, this is a what, $279 shoe? Is that yeah, right? It's pricey, yeah. So it, yeah. So it, it is it is a massive undertaking <laughs> to, to go with that shoe. And then we have the middle ground, I would call it, which is the Hoka Carbon X. It has a carbon plate. It has a very curved rockered sole, which is going to give you increased efficiency with your turnover, but it does not have super foam. It has advanced foam for Hoka, it has two different firmness foams. One's a little softer to give you a little bit of cushioning. The other one's a little more firm so that it doesn't wear down and it can support the plate well. But Kirk, you've run in this shoe. This is not a cushioned feeling shoe. It's the firmest shoe of the three. You think, I mean, you think a Hoka is running on these pillows. They make a lot of models. This would not be that. This is one of those shoes when I first ran in it, like my feet made more noise hitting the cement because of the firmness yeah. coming back. Now, once you get rolling in them, I will tell you that that is a fantastic tempo effort shoe. It is a smooth like butter once you get rolling, but very firm. Yes. So we have one shoe with great foam, but nothing else. The other has great foam, great plate, great everything. And the third has average to good foam with a plate. So Mm -hmm. we have both sides of the spectrum in the dead center. And that Hoka is, you can get it for 134 up to all the way. I think stock is 179. So it's pricey, but it's not 
that two or three hundred dollar shoe range. I bought, bought an old model. I think I got it for under hundred hundred bucks, even. Okay. Or so. Yeah. So again, it's it's the every man's super shoe, so to speak. Mm-hmm. What Kirk and I did is we devised a a testing protocol for this. I, I didn't devise anything. We talked this through that we were going to do this. Right, but this is your. This but you is let me run with it. Well, I did nothing, so. <laughs> let, let me explain what I did. I took all three shoes out and I did uh, I did five types of workouts in them. Can I can I interrupt you just really quick about something? Yes. Just so you guys know, so before we started recording, Bracken pulled up a document on his phone, <laughs> and so Bracken, you know, likes to go to the lab and tinker with things like his pre workout or his his shoes even let's call it or his running gear but he has a large document that has recorded like interval splits pacing other metrics like a very long scrollable document over i don't know how many months bracken uh many months because winter got in the way okay because winter got in the way but this started in the fall and so he actually has uh, well let's say he's a scientist (laughs) <laughs> Let's call it that with the way that this worked out. So you, you, this isn't just whimsical data. This is something that you took seriously is what I want to yeah. get across. Yeah. Scientist is generous, but I tried to follow a scientific testing method. Scientist. Scientist. I'm a scientist. You're a scientist. Continue. But I just wanted to build credibility into how it's like, I don't know, serious you took it. Yeah. Yeah. I took it very seriously because people are asking us all the time, is it worth getting a super shoe? We'll talk about the the ethics. Exactly. The ethics of a super show in the conclusions, but just in terms of the black and white numbers, what is a super shoe really compared to a regular shoe? What is the benefit? And I wanted to test that. So I did five different workouts in all three shoes. Workout number one, I wanted to hit mile pace. Number two was 5K pace, then 10K pace, then half marathon pace, and then an ultra or marathon simulator style workout. So I wanted to hit all five ranges that the average person would run. The average person does not race anything faster than a one mile road race, maybe one time a year. And even that rarely happens. The average person doesn't do an ultra marathon, but 5k through marathon, those are really typical paces. So I wanted to find out at every pace, what's the advantage. I love it. And I'll tell you what, to accrue that sort of data would take quite a while. Yeah, because I had to hit them all at the same level of fitness. So what you did is like you took, if I'm not mistaken, is you took the same shoe in the same workout and switched shoes during the workout because otherwise the subjectivity of, oh, I hit this workout, but then I did it three months or three weeks later, but my fitness changed. So you were rotating shoes within one workout. Yes. Okay. Other than the threshold work and the long run work. Yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> no, couldn't do that. So so here here's the protocol. For a mile pace, I did three sets of two by 400. So I would run a 400, jog back, 400, jog back, change shoes, rest up a little bit, do it again. So the first 400 was designed to go purely off. uh, Let me actually read this here. I'm going to read what I wrote down for myself, my own notes for the workout. Great. For this first rep, I will run off feel, attempting to hit 65 seconds per 400. This will show me how relative efforts feel. For the second rep, I will use rep one as a point of reference and try to run just a hair quicker and while being as efficient and smooth as possible. So rep one, I run how I feel. Rep two, I take the shoe into account and try to then run my best I can run in that shoe. Now, did you like close your eyes and pick which shoe in what order or did you have a process for what shoe is run in what order? I had a process. Okay. What was the reasoning behind that versus randomization? I started every single workout and rep with the Razor 3 as my first shoe. A, I'm most comfortable with that, so I don't have to do any guesswork. B, it's the lightest and least cushioned. And so it's going to change the way I run in it as the workout goes on. A six-mile tempo or a 16-mile long run in those shoes, you're going to take a beating and it's going to change the way you perform. And I already know that about that shoe. Mm-hmm. And then also one of the benefits they talk about with the carbon plate and the super foam is that it delays fatigue and it delays pounding. And so I wanted to be at the most fatigued state. I couldn't totally remove fatigue from the process. Even if I took long recoveries, I would get tired and I would take some pounding throughout these workouts. So I wanted to progress up in shoe cushioning and plate style as my fatigue rose. So if the alpha fly really truly was something that would save your legs at the end of a workout, 
I should be able to feel that. And how would you address the subjectivity of if you're anything like me, knowing like, hey, it's my last two reps, I can go a little harder knowing so you're not conserving. Did you address that at all? That's why I tried to hit 65 seconds on the head for the first rep of each so that there was no excitement. It was just try to be a metronome for rep one and then see what the shoe can do rep two. You're you're not letting me pick many holes in this bracket. I like it. I thought it through, Kirk. Yeah. You know, it's a labor of love when it comes to shoes for me. Sure is. So I took, and I did it on a bike path. I did it on a straight shot bike path. So I didn't get caught up in trying to run turns on a track or get caught up in accelerating and then holding on the turn and accelerating home. I tried to run the perfect stride the whole time, much like a road race situ- situation scenario would be. Same wind, not going wind at your back one Correct. or wind in your face the other, very similar. Good. Yeah. So with the Skechers Razor 3, I was trying to hit 65 seconds. My first rep was 64.7. It was exactly what I knew. I knew what that shoe felt like. And then with the second one, I tried to run just a little bit quicker to see what it feels like as you accelerate. And I ran 63.2. What kind of rest? Jog back? Slow jog back. And then how much rest between shoes? So after the second one, I would walk, jog back, switch shoes, and then do a couple strides in it to get a feel of the shoe so I could start running without having to figure out how it felt on my feet. So there was enough rest between the sets of two. Way more rest than you would ever take in a quarter mile workout. Got it. So it was exactly what I expected. I was able to nail the pace within three tenths of a second of what I wanted over the course of 400. And then I tried to pick it up a little bit and I went 1.5 seconds faster, which correlated to my effort. So here were my notes on it. They felt as you'd expect a race shoe to feel. Light, some ground feel, responsive, a little bit of cushioning, and a touch of support. I had to work a bit, but it felt fast and good. So the shoe wasn't doing any work for me, but it didn't get in my way because it was so light. Yep. So that's how we expect a racing shoe to feel. Then I moved to the Carbon X. And here is my note. I immediately felt different, significantly more cushion and support where the razor started to make me work to maintain my form, especially on the recovery interval and on the run to and from the house. Oh, that's what I did, Kirk. I had a thousand meter run to and from my house in between each rep. Oh, I forgot about this day. There was it was raining this day, so I didn't want to leave the shoes out. So I ran a thousand down doing my strides down, do my two reps, jog back, stride down in the next shoe, two reps, jog back. That was the protocol. Like the first 400 felt weird. It was 65.9. It was a touch more difficult to feel the pace. I felt smooth and fast, but my stride felt a little bit different, maybe slower. And I couldn't totally gauge the pace. So I lost a second, 1.2 seconds on that first rep. It felt easier, but it was also slower. Interesting. So it was a little harder to feel it. And then for the second one, I ran 63. Wait, that's not correct. For the second one, I ran 63.3. So with the Razor, I went 64.7, leaned into it 63.2. With the X, I went 65.9, and then 63.3. So once I got a feel for the shoe, I was able to run the exact same pace with the same effort. Now, I'm going to chime in real quick, and I don't know if you realize or you feel the same way. But for some reason, that carbon-plated shoe, I don't know if I would pick it for speed work. I think it's very good at like 5K pace and slower work. You seem to get a better return on investment on it. But the quicker you run, the less effective it felt from it feels for me. Do you agree with that on the carbon shoe? Well, here's the note I made. I noticed it the most on the recovery interval. <laughs> sure. Whereas I turn around and jog back and my calves and Achilles are staying engaged to keep me on my mid to forefoot while jogging very slowly. In the Carbon X, the shoe just did that work for me. I totally could just stay relaxed and the shoe took care of my slow running. I don't, well, that makes sense with how I feel about it. I don't know if I would use it for anything. I think it could be a great 5K shoe. I think it'd be a great 10K and half marathon shoe, but that's just my small samples workouts that I've done. Do you think, do you agree with that? Uh, Well, I don't want to give it all away yet, but based on putting on one to the next, I felt faster in the razor. But by the second rep of noticing it, I was able to use the carbon at the same pace, but it didn't feel as fun or as fast. Got it. So whatever the weight and the deadness feeling took away, the rocker of the carbon plate gave back and it was like a one-to-one trade-off. Makes sense. <laughs> Here's my, my, my takeaway. Nothing could have prepared me for the feeling of the alpha fly. <laughs> okay. It was different from every shoe I've ever worn in every single way. It's not even comfortable to stand in. You stand in it and you know you're in something special, but it's not designed to be stood in. It's not stable. 
you're not standing with your normal posture. It's weird. Walking in it is just as weird. But the second I started running in it, I just had this goofy grin on my face. Like this is, this is cheating. <laughs> For the first time in my life, it crossed my mind that this isn't a fair fight. Okay. It was so bouncy and effortless at any pace I did. So I started jogging away from the house just to feel it. And then I did some strides and it felt weird. It didn't feel like I was running. It felt like I was like the shoes were pulling my legs along and I wasn't totally sure how to keep my stride feeling normal. And my stride felt very abnormal. Interesting. I tried to do the first one and immediately my hamstrings started feeling weird. As I was doing my first stride, they started to feel like, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Like if I did this for another hour, my hamstrings would cramp. Like it engaged them in a way they weren't engaged in a typical shoe? I was, yeah, I was doing something weird. What I realized is that the shoe was so bouncy I was literally just bouncing from foot to foot and I wasn't cycling my legs at all. Hmm. And in doing that, my hamstring kind of just stayed partially flexed all the way through my stride and I was just landing and boinging. Landing and boinging? Yeah, just, it was really choppy. And I realized, no, 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 I have to think about turning my legs over correctly in this shoe. There was a learning curve to the shoe. So I ran the first rep, Kirk, in the super shoes. So in the first one, I ran 64.7 in the, the Skechers. I ran 65.9 in the Carbon X. What did I run in the Alpha Fly's first rep? Mm, I'm going to say it was your slowest one. I'm going to say you ran like 66 or 7. 67.6. I didn't know this, by the way. 67.6, without a care in the world, <laughs> I could have been running eight-minute pace or four-minute pace. I couldn't feel it at all. It took your awareness away from your body. Totally. And my stride was, it didn't feel like I was propelling forward. It felt like I was propelling up and down. I wasn't driving forward at all. And I had run in the vapor fly. The vapor fly, you touch your foot to the ground and it's kicking you forward like you're running slightly downhill. The alpha fly was not like that. So on the way back, I had to practice. I did a couple extra strides to practice the shoe. And I realized that I actually had to kind of lean into the shoe. The way that this plate is sitting, I have to land with my center of mass slightly forward. And then suddenly it was like, pew, pew, it started launching me. So the second one, I did the exact same effort I've been doing on my second reps of all of them and ran 62.8. Fastest rep yet. Fastest rep by a second. Five seconds faster than your previous rep. Correct. And it felt easier than any of the other shoes, any of their reps had been. Even though it felt weird, even that one, I ran all the way through feeling like it's kind of like dream running. I could probably just turn my, my hands back and forth faster and I would just keep going faster. <laughs> so I was trying to run 420 pace and I ended up running 412, 411, maybe 410 pace just because of the shoe. Wow. So that was my feedback on day one that I wouldn't use the Carbon X, the Hoka for real speed work because I couldn't feel anything. The Alpha Fly allowed me to run speed work. I wasn't even really capable of running and I wasn't even using my normal stride, but it was so fast that it was a ton of fun. And the razor, the regular shoe is exactly what you'd expect. Okay. So it was weird. I, I found myself thinking if there were a race today, I would be my fastest in the alpha flies, but not if I was front running. Not if you were front running. I don't know the shoe enough to know how hard I could even run in it because you're, you're like pumping your arms faster, but you don't have the associated burn with it. You'd almost have to not look at your watch. You yeah. wouldn't be able to get caught up in your pacing with that shoe. Or I'd have to follow someone faster than me and just say, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to turn over and see what happens. So that day I wouldn't have chose a super shoe for a race because I didn't trust that I could feel how, what type of effort I could put out. Hmm. So that got me excited for the second round of testing, which was at 5k pace. I did three by mile and I was trying to just run five flat. One mile recovery chain shoe. One mile recovery. Yep. Deal. Okay. And I tried to run the same effort the entire time while trying to run five minute pace. Did you keep heart rate data for this stuff too? So we could go and look at heart rate data from your mile repeats. I do have heart rate data, but I do not have it in front of me. It's in a different Excel sheet. It would just be really interesting to know, like if you, if you actually nailed five minute pace on the head for three intervals, but with the alpha, you were five beats a minute lower. That tells you how you need to know, right? Exactly. But, but okay. I was just curious. I definitely have it for my threshold work and for my long run. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Pace testing. For each rep, I would run the first 800 meter by feel, trying to run five minute pace. Again, testing for relative effort. And then after that first one, I would run the next and try to run exactly 
five minute pace based off that. Got it. Well, I'd try to run it by feel for the first 800. Then I'd adjust based off what I actually hit. If I hit 240 in a shoe, I'd think, all right, time to pick it up and run exactly 230 this next one. And if I came through in 220, it would be calm down, see what five minute pace feels like in this shoe. So I was not trying to run fast. I was trying to hit a pace. Not surprisingly, the Razor, I ran 458. I went through at 228 and then ran 230 on the head for the second one. Got it. Very easy to feel the pace. Carbon two. I changed, uh, here's my note. I changed immediately into this and immediately felt better. Hmm. So I finished the mile, started jogging back. Uh, my dad came with me this day. He rode on a bike next to me and he had a backpack full of shoes. And there's this little like parking lot to the side of the bike trail. So we jog over to that. I'd change shoes and then we'd jog on back and do the next rep. This, this was all in the fall, correct? These first two rounds were in the fall, yes. So... I'd jog over there and I'd have some calf fatigue, some Achilles fatigue, just that feeling of in between reps. I'd sit down, get the, the hokas on as quick as I could and immediately felt more refreshed. So just having a shoe that supported my stride rather than didn't get in the way of my stride was a noticeable change when I changed shoes. So for that one, I went through the 800 at 229. And I, my note is I didn't find a nice feeling foot strike until the 400 meter mark. Okay. It took 400 meters to find how to hit the ground correctly in that shoe. And then I ran 229 and then 230. Just like the first workout, it took me a second to figure out what to hit. And then it was a really reliable, stable shoe. Okay. Not noticeably faster than the other one. The effort felt about the same, but I didn't feel as beat up. Okay. So I still think with that shoe, whatever it takes away without having great foam, it gives back with the plate. So I didn't feel faster in it. I just felt less beat up. Makes sense which had me excited for the longer tests because right. that's when I think the, the benefit would come in. And it's that, again, I felt jogging back after the rep much better than I did in the razor. Alpha flies. I was getting tired by this point. And then I said in here, alpha fly was like a shot in the arm. I put them on and right away, the fatigue faded because I was so excited to be running in the shoe again. This time I was prepared to lean into the shoe. I knew how my stride needed to work and I did it. And I went through the 800 and 223 feeling like I might be running 520 pace. Huh. So I was seven seconds or six seconds faster through the 800 than I was in the other two shoes. So I tried to back off a little bit, but I ended up running 228 for the second one. So I ran 451 for that mile with the least amount of effort of any rep so far. Jeez. So in my most fatigued state, I ran seven seconds and eight seconds faster than my other reps with less effort. How much rest was there in between? Reps out of curiosity. I jogged back the whole mile. Okay. So you had 10, you had 10 minutes at least between changing the shoes. I had jogging. eight to 10 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Because I did strides in each shoe in between. So I might jog at eight or nine minute pace and then do strides for a couple hundred meters. But yeah, I'd say eight to 10 minutes rest between mile reps. Got it. But I wasn't in very good shape at this time. So somebody's going to get mad at you for saying you weren't in very good shape at that time for running three sub five minute miles. Yeah, but I mean, if I, if the summer before I was running low 420s in a mile, running five minute pace isn't that difficult for me out of shape. Doing three of them in a row, I needed eight to 10 minutes to be able to even run my same stride again. Yeah, makes sense. And what I do know is that without the alpha fly, I would not have broken five that third rep. My note in here says, during the first two, by the last 100 meters or so, I was ready to be done knowing, all right, just maintain your stride, get through the end of it. And the last 100 meters in the alpha flies, I was thinking, I wonder if I could make it to a mile and a half or two mile at this pace. Mm. You don't think that unless you're feeling good. Correct. So again, they made a drastic difference in how fast I was and took no pounding whatsoever. I was more refreshed after my third rep than after my second. Okay. Basically mile pace, we'll call it. And then we're considering this like five, 5k pace. Yeah. I did 420 pace and then five flat pace. Okay. Yeah. So you tested them at roughly mile pace and roughly 5k. In the mile pace testing, I felt I could race in any three of these and be fine, but I wouldn't trust being able to close it down and kick unless I was in the speeds, okay. the, uh, the sketchers. I got done with the three by mile and thought I would lose to myself if I wasn't wearing the best shoe in this one. Already between mile and 5k, it became apparent. So then I went, I ran three by two mile, same type of thing, two mile, jog a mile change, two mile, jog a mile change. And now I was trying to run. It's a big workout. It is. I was trying to run exactly 5.30 pace. I did a mile out, turn around, mile back. This is the first time I added in turns. I wanted to see if you were out on a race course, sometimes they have a cone 
on a road race that you got to turn around and come back, what would the shoes feel like? In the Razors, I went out 532 first mile, slightly, slightly uphill, 528 second mile. Yeah. Dead on. 11 yeah. flat. The turnaround felt exactly how you'd expect it to feel. And my hip flexors and calves were feeling a little bit uh, depleted by the end of that rep. Sure. Changed into the Carbon Xs and immediately felt better. Was slower through the mile. I was 536 through the mile, but then closed it back down in 524 to still hit 11 flat. Okay. Alpha Fly, I decided to have fun. I decided I'd go out in 530 if I could hit it and then bring it home as fast as I wanted to run. Okay. I went 530, 510. Wow. And the 5.10 wasn't as fast as I could have gone. But by this point, I just, I was unsure if it would even be smart for me to keep running this hard. My hip flexors were tired from the workout and the shoe was going to allow me to work harder than my body should be able to accept working right now. That's a big difference. It's a huge difference. And that slight grade, maybe one, one and a half percent, was magnified in the alphas. Would you say that your perceived effort um, between the razors and the carbon X was roughly the same still? Like if you're talking perceived effort, is that, are they, is it negligible, the difference? It was the same going out. It was, I had less effort coming back because the shoe didn't beat me up. Got it. That makes sense. Okay. I can track that. Yeah. Yeah. Perceived effort in the alphas though. Bizarre. Okay. Both of those other ones, I accelerated a bit to maintain the pace, but it was obvious to me that this was not a move I'd make in a race because I couldn't sustain it. I was doing it to get to the end of the rep and that was at Alpha Flies again. I thought I had that crazy thought, should I just keep going and try to like, and just get a, a, a good first time trial of the year in? So it had me dreaming in the middle of a two mile rep, which wow. you don't do mm -mm. in normal shoes. Then I did three by 5k. How many more do we have? Three by 5k and then Temple, right? Uh, three by five K was at threshold. So this is your last one. No, then I did a long run. A long run. Okay. So two more. So three by five K I was trying to run just six minute pace on this, test out the six minute pace crowd. So threshold ish work. And I ran 18 minutes on the head for all of them. Wow. Yeah. You know, within plus minus a few tenths, because it was pretty easy to control. You had enough time in the reps. However, by the end of the first 5K, and I did these on, I did these each two days apart in one week. So you did a 5K, two days of rest, 5K. One day rest. rest. So day one, 5K, day three, 5K, day five, 5K. Got it. Every other day. So not enough time to, to gain fitness on it. Did the exact same course each time, just one big square around a park. And by the end of the first 5K at threshold in the razor, I was just feeling a little dull. I felt fast the whole way through because it's so light and you turn over nicely, but I was feeling a little beat up. In the Hoka, I never felt fast and it never felt very difficult. It was where it separated itself. That added that a little bit slower pace, but longer duration is where it's finally separated itself from the Razor. You know, I did a uh, eight mile tempo run a couple weeks back. How long ago was that? That was four weeks back, three weeks so. back. Uh, like 539 pace in that in the Carbon X, the original, not the X2. Um, and I will second that, that I was four or five, six miles into that tempo effort. And that would have been the point at 540 or sub pace where I'd be like, this is really wearing on me. But I felt like oddly enough, my body was still, my legs were holding up to the effort. And I, I'm wondering if it is really due to that technology alone. Like maybe I had a good day too, but I felt that myself. Yeah. I just feel like that shoe supports your stride. It doesn't unleash your stride, but it supports it well. Way to describe it, actually. It supports your stride. Yeah. And so you're not you're not wasting energy in no. that stride because of the way that foot plants and pushes off in that shoe. Yeah, it's a good yeah. way to put it. So heart rate for that. I average 163 in the razors. I average 162 point something in the carbon. So it didn't change my heart rate. It changed the way I felt during and afterwards. Okay. And then alpha flies. I mm -hmm. held myself to six minute pace and my heart rate was 155, 156. That's a, I mean, six or seven beats per minute. You guys listening is a lifetime of effort difference when you're talking running hard. Six to seven beats a minute is being able to keep something like that for two hours versus a half an hour. Like that's no joke. Yeah, it was yeah. significant. And also significant was I had my first up and down hills. Running uphill was obviously the best in the lightest, lowest profile shoe. 
it was the worst in the alpha flies, but it wasn't worse in a, like a, a slow way. It was worse and it felt weird way. Sure. The moment we crested the hill and I started coming down the other side, the razors feel like running downhill in something that doesn't have enough cushion and support where you're doing that kind of a tight, hold yourself together, turnover as fast as you can to avoid a pounding stride. The carbons I could relax into a little bit, but the alpha flies, I felt like I could just run it like an acceleration. Downhill in the Alpha Flies felt glorious. Gradual downhills, though I'm assuming. Gradual. This is these. This is paved row uh, parkway. Five percent grade at most. Max. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But still, the kind that if you're running fast enough, it's a pounding. This one, I thought I could break four minutes in a downhill mile in these shoes right now. Wow. Because you could just run. You didn't have to worry about taking an impact. The, your your heart rate data on that tells me enough. Yeah. That the heart rate data doesn't lie. It never lies. Right. So that's, that's the biggest takeaway for me there. So what I wanted to do then was do three 16 mile runs. However, this all had to happen. I was compressed on time and I was compressed on, uh, should I really even do this coming off of injury? So I did three 10 mile runs okay. and I was just going to dawdle for 16 miles and see what it felt like to run a, uh, the, the every man's marathon pace. Instead, I decided to run an honest pace for 10 miles and just keep the same heart rate if I could and see what the pace did. So all you did was watch heart rate? Yeah, I tried to keep my aerobic threshold. I'd start out at aerobic threshold and then let it drift as it needs to over the course of 10 miles. But I tried to get right up as soon as I could into my aerobic threshold, which for me is 151, 152. Okay. And so I did that. And in the razors, I pulled the plug at mile seven. I found what I needed to find. I didn't want to run the last three miles in those shoes because it's not enough shoe for me. Mm. What were you feeling? It's hips, soleus, just not enough. It's it's a four mil drop. It's not enough drop. It's not enough cushion to support me for 10 miles moderate. Got so it. I pulled the plug. Carbon X held it the whole time. Felt really comfortable. Never felt the need to take off and run hard, but I was running roughly the same exact pace as the razors, but I didn't take any pounding and started at, I was up to 150 by probably 1200 meters into it. And I think I finished um, feeling the exact same way, but I drifted up to 55 by the end. What was the pacing on those two runs with the Razor and the Carbon X? So with the Razor, I was hitting 640 to seven flat. And with the Carbon X, I never really got to the seven flat. It was all 640, 650. Got it. I just didn't degrade ever in that shoe. Alpha Fly, I went mm -hmm. out at 620 accidentally and just decided let's push it let's just keep it kept the heart rate there and ended up running all between six flat and 620 and felt like i could do another 40 minutes of this afterwards heart rate drifted the same amount as the as the carbon x's so it went from 150 up to 155 156 but it didn't have any accompanying dullness but it had the added excitement of feeling like i'm running in someone else's legs who's faster than me and so I think that raises the heart rate a little bit, but it drops the perceived exertion. So what was the average pace of the Carbon X and what was the average pace? I think it was 647 for Carbon X and 611 for the Alpha Fly. With similar heart rate data? Similar heart rate, but I certainly tried harder in these and they were also three weeks apart. So that's why I'm kind of throwing out the pace because in those, that was the first 10 mile run I had done. Okay. And then I did another one. And then I did the third. So I was more fit. The weather's a little bit better. So the pace, it's not 30 seconds per mile better. Had I done them on the same day, I truly think I was 12 to 15 seconds per mile faster on that one. With the same effort. Exact same effort, yeah. But it would be, it would still be less effort because same effort. This is the thing that I that I'm interested in about the shoe, is because effort is a weird thing to perceive when the shoes change the characteristics of your running. Right. Because hamstrings and chest don't burn the same way. The effort of swinging my arms was increased because I was running faster, but it wasn't associated with leg burn. And so it was almost hard to say it was the same effort. Parts of it were harder because I was working harder, but parts of it were easier because it just wasn't costly. So if we weren't to use the words legal cheating. Correct. How would we describe what it does for you? Let's let's not use those terms. The razor shows you what you can do right now. The Carbon X shows you what you could do if you were in a little bit better shape. 
in terms of endurance. It allows you to maintain longer. The alpha fly allows you to do things you're not capable of doing. It's pretty powerful. I came into this still thinking we're a little bit overboard about the super shoe debate. I now know that if I line up next to myself, one of us has on super shoes, that one wins every single time. Even on a bad day. Yeah, it kind of negates as much of the bad day thing because bad day, it might just bring you back down to your normal shoe self, but you're going to fatigue less. Hmm. And it's magnified as the distance goes up. I think I could probably beat myself in a mile with tactics or timing. And certainly I could sprint better at the end of a race in the Skechers. The Alpha Fly's biggest drawback is actually sprinting. So there's no debate. There's, this is not a debate in your mind anymore. No, no. The debate now is, should you? Not will you be better, but should you? I have a, a question then about these three shoes. Because I, I haven't run the Alpha Flies, but again, I really like the Razors and I really like the Carbon X. I'm a big fan of both. They're great shoes. So we're not. I don't think we should discredit. Even the Razor, what you're saying, beats you up a little quicker, is a phenomenal shoe. And it already beats me up less than my old Streaks used to that Correct. didn't have this kind of foam. You're comparing like, yeah, giants to bigger giants, right? Within the shoe yeah. world, these are all great. Um, so if you had to, would the Razor 3 win in any, you're going to toe the start line of any race you can imagine or a workout, does the Razor 3 win in anything? Or if, if all that matters are metrics or time, do you ever choose that shoe over the other two? And when do you, if you do? In a vacuum or me personally? I don't However you want to answer it. In a vacuum, I would choose it anytime I was running faster than, let's say, 3K pace. So you would race a mile in the Razor over yeah. the Carbon X or the Alpha Fly for sure? Yes. Why? Because a mile in the way I'm going to be running it, which is a road race most likely, it's a very tactical affair. It's If there's anyone that's around your range, you're going to feel it out, feel it out, and then make a hard, hard last quarter or 300 to the finish. And I feel most confident sprinting in this shoe. I describe doing a stride to people oftentimes. And if you were racing someone and as you got closer to the finish and it was still a battle, you would increase your stride and increase your stride and increase your stride. And at some point you have to switch from the fastest running form you can do into your sprinting form. And yeah. I say, that's where you stop a stride. You run at the fastest normal run stride you can do. The alpha flies, the super shoes accentuate your fastest run stride but they do not accentuate your sprint stride. So anything where I had to tip past my fastest run stride and go into that next version, I wouldn't feel comfortable in them yet. You're going to run 12 by a quarter mile with 60 seconds rest. Are you picking that shoe still? The, the razor? razor? Yeah. You are. Okay. So then let's move to the carbon. But, but first of all, me personally, I am never running anything in this shoe outside of just for fun because I've realized it doesn't translate. Just this shoe, what shoe are you talking uh, about? The Alpha Fly. For me, it's going to be a Ferrari. You keep it in your garage, you look at it, and you take it out from time to time just for fun. Well, before we get to that, though, I want to talk the Carbon X. Is there any okay. app, is there any application in which you choose the Carbon X over the Razor or the Alpha Fly? For purely to, forget about the ethics, for purely yeah. talking result. I find myself grabbing that shoe all the time. Easy runs, long run threshold work, recovery work. I, I can walk, sometimes I, I put it on and if I walk to the grocery store, it just supports my feet and my stride so well that it just feels better on me. So I, I can run 10 minute pace or six minute pace and it just is, is happy. If I go below six minute pace, maybe 540, I'm not going to use it. And that's about it. Yeah. I'm talking performance only. You have to race a race. Uh, let's say it's a 5k or it's anything. So now it's longer than a mile because you're going to pick no, your razors. I won't. Ethics aside, I would use the razor up until it bumps into the alpha fly. So the, the carbon X is like gray area. It doesn't win at either. Jack of all trades, master of none. The best overall shoe to run the gamut. If it's not a true super shoe. If I could only own one shoe, it would be the carbon X. For short intervals, long intervals, racing of different distances. The carbon X would be your Jack of all trades. Easy days, recovery days, long runs. All of them for that. Yes. Okay. Got it. But it wins none of the top end battles for none of the races if you're taking those three shoes. It doesn't win a single category for me. But it but it takes second place closely in all of them. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. Okay. For me personally, I have no use for the Alpha Fly from a training perspective because I have to use a different stride in that shoe. 
Now, other, other super shoes aren't the same way, but I have a cadence, I have a stride type, and I have an engagement in my legs that I don't use on the trail. I don't use off-road. I don't even use it on the track. It's just a, it's a different, I'd be working on a skill that wouldn't ever translate. And I couldn't choose pace-based work. I'd have to choose effort, but my effort is so vastly different that I actually don't is as great as it is. It's the greatest shoe I've ever worn in my life. I have no use for it unless I was going to race a half marathon or a marathon or a 10 K that I needed. Like my life depended on it. I would put that shoe on for some reason, big 10 K rolls into town and you're just curious and you get a hankering to go rip up six miles on the road and you actually have to make this decision. I'm not wearing it now because you wouldn't count it as a a PR. No, I I could not. I know at this point it allows me to do things I can't do without it. And now I have this asterisk PR. I don't care about the asterisk as much as I can now only touch it with that shoe again. I can't base training paces off that. I can't base future races off of that. Only if I wear that shoe. Now, why aren't we seeing the alpha flies in world-class 5k or 10k track meets? Uh, You're seeing the vapor fly in it sometimes. The vapor fly. Okay. So how come, how come it hasn't translated like everybody's wearing them in those events? They are. They are. On the track, you'll, you'll see a lot of it, but they also came out with their new dragonfly and I'm blinking on the other one. They have their new super spikes that pair with this. But on the road, if you look at any major race, 5k or above on the road, it is vaporfly, alpha fly, and then you'll see a couple of the other super shoe contenders in there, but usually only if someone runs for them. Like, uh, like what do you, would you consider that? So you have the Saucony um, Endorphin Pro. You have the New Balance RC Elite. Um, you have the new Carbon X2. There's also the Carbon Rocket. Is the Carbon X2 considered a true super shoe then? No, it's still not super foam, but it is in, it's increased the amount of foam and the softness of it. Okay. So it's even more accessible, I think. I would take the two over the one. I'm never running the two. Just picture the same thing, but softer and more refined. The one is good enough for me. Yeah, you're splitting hairs. So I got only about maybe five minutes to chat out the ethics of this shoe, but I think we should really quick. Uh, What do you think? I mean, I know your stance is I I don't think you could, you could like ever is a place like, okay, I just really, I want to, there's a 5k and it's a flat downhill and it already has an asterisk because it's a downhill 5k and you just want to play. That's the only time it's coming out? For me, it is a a fun toy. That's it. Is it is it cheating? No. Do any PRs count that's running that shoe in Europe? Yes. Why? Because I don't know where I stand on that. It's not breaking a rule. It's not cheating. It is a performance enhancer, though. I will say that. It is black and white to me that it is a performance enhancer. But until the rules reflect it, it is not cheating. I don't begrudge anyone their super shoes. I have another one on order. I believe that they are the truth and they're the future. However, World Athletics has to decide if they're going to ramp in the restriction, ramp up their restrictions a little bit, or just make it open season. If it becomes open season, then it depends on your goals in racing. Maybe I just switch to only super shoes, but. I probably won't because my main focus is to be the best trail runner I can possibly be in off-road and still training in those shoes on the road does not necessarily make me a better trail runner the same way that training on trails will make me a better trail runner. Do you think that in my 17 mile trail race this weekend, knowing most of it is single track, somewhat technical that I would perform and race faster and an alpha fly on that terrain than if I were to, you don't think so? You, there's a chance you break the shoe. There's a very good chance you roll your ankle. It is the least stable shoe I've ever run in. The turnaround in that, on that two mile rep, the turnaround was... I just chopped down, pivoted sideways, and turned. Where the other two, I could just turn into it and accelerate. Would a um, would like an indoor two hundred meter track feel very awful? In, awful in that shoe because the turns are so tight. So yeah. you really need some straightaway. You need to be able to run without any sharp turns. Alpha Fly is a road shoe. Now there are some shoes, some tr- some super shoes you could take on a a calm, smooth trail, a fire road, for example. And North Face just came out with their first with the first true trail super shoe craft just released theirs which is an Mm -hmm. ultra shoe that can be on or off road but it's still for tame terrain because once the plate starts it's going and it's going one directional 
Yeah. So if you hit off camber running, it's useless. That's why people say, what are you going to wear for a stadium? I'm going to wear the razor because I'm not trusting uh, a a plate that's going to rock me forward to run downstairs or make sharp cuts. So it is a tool. It's a straight line tool. How come you won't wear the Gomeb for a stadium? I do. The Skechers. Yeah. You said you'd wear the razor. Oh, I have both. It really just depends on if it's AT&T Stadium, I'm wearing the Razor because it's got 2,000 feet of vert. All the others, yeah, the speed. The go the X-Speed, is it, or the... GoMeb Speed. GoMeb Speed, I think. But that one's just a lighter... Ver- Honest, it just seems like a more lighter, responsive version of the Razor. But yeah. I have both. Do not, I do not look down on people who have super shoes. And I applaud you for opening up the, the vault to pay for them. Do you think that people... like? that are curious. I think there's a lot of curiosity. What do you tell those people? Like, is it worth, is it worth spending the money on them? I ask them why, why do you want? What's the right answer? What's the acceptable answer? I don't think there is a right. It's, it doesn't make sense for you. I think the most deserving crowd for this and long-term, I think the greatest application outside of pro runners is heavier runners. Mm-hmm. If you have a frame like us or bigger or Let's take muscle out of it. If you are overweight, these type of shoes allow you to reduce the pounding that you take. And so performance aside, if it allows people to access running on a more accessible level and a healthier level, I think that alone made this whole revolution worth it. Do you think that there should be any contingency in the world record space for the type of shoe on foot? Or are we just going to have to accept that we're going to keep advancing technology and it is what it is? And that that's as simple as that. I I do not think it'll happen like it happened with the speed suit and swimming, where they just retract, pull back, and purge the record books because there have always been shoes on feet. There weren't always suits on bodies. Yeah. So yeah. I no, I don't think so. Um, I think this is the next the next step. If you look back through, people like to say there's never been a leap like this, but there have always been leaps. There was a leap from cinder track to rubberized track, from rubber track to mondo track, from the you know those um, Puma H streets or whatever that were just rubber basically with canvas upper into a shoe with a rock to it into air airbag cushioning and foam versus just pure rubber bottom. Every step has made things drastically different, and this is just. Nike took eight years to research it and then put a decade's worth of work out at one time. We would have got there either way. It was just suddenly accelerated. So no, I don't I don't think anything will be done about it. They will do things like they've already done where you can only have one carbon plate in a shoe and there's a certain stack height that they'll always keep it underneath. But I mean, I applaud the advancement of technology. You know, I'm afraid of that shoe tremendously. Yeah. I have an addictive personality and I have an addiction to it's a gateway shoe. And and I know that I'm a I'm a bad, bad with temptation, Bracken, and I'd be some dumb five K down the road yep. that happens and I will be like, Why not? And then I'll never be able to go back and I think I'm gonna keep that shoe off of my shelves permanently. Um because I'm scared of what it'll do to me. Cause I don't know if I can practice restraint like you can. I say that, but what happens if the the one mile road race this summer puts three hundred bucks on? Strap that baby to your feet. Because I know the guy next to me is going to be wearing it. Am I now just doing the same mindset of the guy next to me is doping, or would it be foolish not to strap him on? Am I going to bring it in the trunk with me to the next road race? That's the real question, Kirk. Is it going to be in there just in case? Am I going to warm up, see a sea of vapor flies, and say, "Well, looks like that's the tool required for the job." That's a box I don't know if I even want to open. Bracken. I am thankful I'm not predominantly a roadrunner because too. like our, our mutual friend, John DeWitt, 218 marathoner, wants to make his splash on the roads the best he can. What if he's suddenly a 215 guy with, with better shoes? That's a decision that I don't have to worry about making. Yep. Well, that's a, I'll tell you what, man. I applaud you for that experiment. I have never dove into it as extensively. I've just read things and what people have said anecdotally, but for you to take it, put up your nerd glasses and document results is very impressive. And now people will know. And I feel like your results are reliable. They were methodical. They were well thought out. They were fairly objective. And uh, that's good data, man. Nice job, scientist Brackenstein. I'm going to do this again with new shoes because it was fun and it got me through like seven weeks of training just looking forward to each workout so for that reason alone maybe if you're in a rut go get yourself a super shoe and start testing 
I like that. Do we have anything? I'd love to keep jabbering. Um, do we have anything else we want to add to today? I, I do want to have a reminder that um, if you are on our running public training plan, but you have not joined our Facebook group, please do so. And our, and our Strava group as well. Yeah, Strava group and Facebook group. On our Facebook group, we have some, uh, some videos. We have uh, questions that get asked in there. We have instructions that Kirk and I will post. So if you're not in there and you are training with us, hop in there because you're missing out. Yep. And uh, new yellow retro running public shirts are back in stock in small, mediums, and larges. And we have two new hot, spicy shirt items that will be shipping to me this week. And they're sweet. They're new editions of our shirts. So uh, hang tight. Kirk, Kirk FaceTimed me the other day, and they looked good. That's right. Well, that's all I got, man. Thanks for your uh, thanks for your input, man. I think people learned a lot from this, including me. Thanks for letting me babble about my addiction. This could have been a 10-hour episode if we wanted it to be. <laughs> the time flies by, Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. Thank you.